All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you see it? Did you know? Hello Canucks fans, it's time to celebrate, you know that intro. My name is David Quadrelli, I am joined by Chris Faber, we are back, it is episode 99 of the Canucks Conversation Podcast, brought to you by Zephyr Epic. That's something we have to mention, and I mean, this is the place you're going to find out about it, is we're now sponsored, the presenting sponsor is now Zephyr Epic, so big news there, but bigger news, the Canucks, Chris, come out and win this game on this Tuesday evening with Thatcher Demko in net. Wow, yeah, what a performance, eh? I mean, uh, Mr. Booth broke it today on Twitter early on in the day, uh, and we followed up by seeing Thatcher Demko put on an absolute show in Game 5 against the Vegas Golden Knights. There's no chance they win that game without good goaltending. Uh, obviously, 43 saves on 44 shots, but the crazy thing for me was seeing how many shot attempts the Vegas Golden Knights had. I mean, uh, I remember the last time we recorded, I think we were coming off of the Vegas Golden Knights just putting up 50 shot attempts in one period. Uh, in this game, they had 79 shot attempts, and the fact that only one out of 79 attempted shots got past Demko was just absolutely huge. I thought that from start to finish, he looked excellent. He looked really athletic. Like That's something that we always kind of say about Thatcher Demko, um, but sometimes that athleticism gets him out of position, but it felt like he was really poised. Like He was he was in position, he was calm, but when he needed to be able to to get from post to post and be athletic and be kind of sprawling in the crease, like he was very able to. Like Through and through, this was potentially the best game I've ever seen from Thatcher Demko. I've tried to learn a lot about goaltenders and, you know, the technical side of the game. Like, I don't know if I showed you, I bought this book about coaching hockey or whatever, and I'm reading all about systems and all that sort of stuff. And something I talk, someone I talk to a lot is Kevin Woodley. And he always points out when a goaltender is overactive in the crease. And I mean, I played goalie, but never really at a high level. So I don't understand too much of what he's talking about. But when he says this stuff, like, I'm trying to understand what he means. And I have to see it to kind of equate it. And he talks a lot about being overactive and sliding too early. That was something that he said Jacob Markstrom did in Game 4. You watch Thatcher Demko tonight, and it's clear what Woodley means when he says stuff like this. Like, Demko's feet tonight were so quiet, and he was in position on every shot, it seemed like. Like, he was never in a bad spot, never had to go make an insane desperation save due to him being out of position. He was just so steady and so poised, you would not, by looking at it, you would not think that this was his first NHL playoff game. <laughs> yeah, most definitely not. And like, like they they really brought it, man. Like he he had to be excellent. Like this wasn't just a game where where Thatcher Demko had to go out and even make something like 
you know, some of the games we saw him play in this year, he makes, you know, 30 to 35 saves, lets in one or two goals, and we're thinking, wow, that's an incredible game for Demko. A really good job by him stepping up in a backup role and getting a win for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, that was what we were talking about in the regular season. He just came out in a playoff game on the brink of elimination against the Vegas Golden Knights, who absolutely dominated throughout this game, had possession in the Canucks zone for what felt like the entirety of the second period. Like, there was there was times in that second period where I don't think they went a five-minute stretch without crossing center line. Like, they were absolutely getting demolished. Oh. And just the, the Vegas Golden Knights were throwing everything at Thatcher Demko. He just seemed to be ready for everything. And, yeah, like, he, he you're right. Like, he looked poised. He looked quiet. Um, and that that's going to bring up the conversation to say, like, does he – does now – does Demko start to get in the conversation for game six now? Because after you put on a performance like that, you know, unfortunately Jacob Markstrom hasn't had a performance like that in this series against the Vegas Golden Knights. So I think that, you know, the option to go to Demko in game six kind of has to be there after what he just did here. Let's talk about that because, you know, I've seen a lot of takes on Twitter. Mike Martiniago tweeted out, um, uh, trade Markstrom now in like, he tweeted out in the middle of the third period, which I just found absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Um, you know, it, it was satire, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about game six, because here's what I see, Chris. When I look at, you know, I was in the camp that Thatcher Demko probably should have started the first of that back-to-back, right? Like, that was what I was thinking. I was not thinking it would be a good idea for Markstrom to play all these games. I was worried about an injury. Sure enough, he gets injured. So now you have this situation where if Markstrom comes back, here's the thing, like, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts, and I'm going to try and organize them as best I can. When we were looking at what happened with Markstrom, right? Like, there was a lot of conversation about, is it fatigue or is it injury? Well, okay, what do we have to look at this as evidence of a situation? So, I see Markstrom wasn't backing up tonight, which makes me think it wasn't rest. It was an injury. They said he's unfit to play. That really makes me think this is an actual injury. Rick Dollywell of TSN 1040 has suggested it's to his groin. Right? This is the info that we have. This makes me think that even if Markstrom tells you that he's good to go, and we know Markstrom's a gamer, we know he wants to play every game. The guy would play on crutches. I wrote that in an article earlier this week. He's a guy who wants to play. And if he tells Travis Green and the rest of the coaching staff, yeah, I'm good to go, but he's not quite at 100%, I think you have to go with Thatcher Demko, especially after that performance, right? It'd be one thing if the Canucks carried Thatcher Demko to a win. But it was the other way around, right? Like, the Canucks played especially poorly in front of Thatcher Demko. The first two periods, it didn't look like the Canucks even wanted to win this game. It looked like they were just going to get ready to pack up and go home. They come alive a bit in the third. Thatcher Demko gets them there, right? Like, this is the situation we're looking at. We know now that Thatcher Demko has the ability to win a playoff game against a team as good as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to need him to do it again in Game 6. So what I'm saying is... One, I don't think this is a fatigue issue, and I don't think giving Markstrom a night off is going to be enough. I don't think Markstrom's going to be good for Game Six, no matter what he says. I don't think it's going to. I don't think that's the case. I think there's no way that it's a groin injury and then it just goes away over the span of two days. I I just don't yeah. see that being the case. I think even if he's ninety percent, but he's not at a hundred percent, you know who is at a hundred percent? Thatcher Demko, unless he got some injury tonight, of course. You know that aside. Thatcher Demko's the healthier goalie. He played extremely well on Tuesday evening. And that's why I think that he's going to be the guy who goes in in game six. Again, remember, game six and seven are going to be back-to-backs. So if Markstrom is 100% by game seven, I don't think he will be. But if he is, that's when I would put Markstrom in net. I think game six, you've got to go to Demko. Yeah, I think, you know, setting it up the way that it is, you bring up a good point. Looking at game six and game seven being back-to-backs... That's, yeah, like you're not going to throw Dominion, obviously, so you're going to need Markstrom to be 100% healthy by the time you get to Game 7. Otherwise, you're going to have to ride Demko back-to-back. But if Demko comes out and plays like he did once again in Game 6, then you have a real controversy on your hands. But, um, yeah, like I agree. I I think that you're going to have to go back to Demko in Game 6. Just the ability that he had uh, in this game was just incredible. Like, he, he looked... You know, he looked like like we've seen Jacob Marshall do in some of those games where when you look back at the Marshall games throughout the season and, you know, you think of some of his best couple, like this this Thatcher Demko performance stacks right up beside that. Um, and if he's able to continue to do this at all, uh, you kind of need to ride that a little bit because, yeah, Jacob Markstrom's been excellent, and I think he's faced a ton of shots against the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, but he hasn't really had a game like we just saw from Thatcher Demko. So I, I would be back to Demko in Game 6. 
Um, even like you said, like if Jacob Martian gets that extra day and then when you have a back to back, maybe Demko's starting to feel a little bit then. And that's when you go back to a healthy Markstrom. But even then that's only three days away, right? Like that's, that's not a lot of time to recover from a groin injury. So we'll have to see, and this is going to be something we'll have to follow, but you know, the Canucks need to go out and win game six first off. And something you just mentioned, uh, that I wanted to get into a little bit more was you said that they, they weren't really there for the first 40 minutes. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks were just kind of accepting defeat is what you kind of said. Um, and then like, I, I agree, but I think like looking at what they did going through halfway into this game, um, I think it was in the second period. They didn't get a shot for the first 12 and a half minutes into that period. Um, and halfway point of the second period, halfway point of the game, Travis Green mixes up his line, starts, you know, throwing a bunch of different combinations out there with Bo Horvat because it looked like Tyler Toffoli uh, just wasn't really going tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, on Tuesday night. Um, and, and I think that, you know, putting the lotto line back together was great. Obviously the lotto line was excellent. They scored two goals, did not allow one. And they scored two goals at five on five in just over four minutes of play, which is incredible for the lotto line. They're going to have games like that. Um, uh, it seemed like the Elias Pettersson, Tanner Pearson, uh, Tyler Toffoli line was just horrendous tonight. Uh, they played six minutes together, almost seven minutes. Uh, they did not register a shot on net while having nine shots against them. Uh, that line just looked bad. Like, through and through, I thought Tanner Pearson didn't look good when he was playing with Pedersen. I thought Tyler Toffoli didn't look good when he was playing with Pedersen. Uh, but Pedersen got going, obviously, when he moved up to the lotto line. And, you know, that that kind of opened the, the door a little bit for Horvat to have a bunch of different lines with him. Like, we we saw Tyler Mott with Horvat at times. We saw Jake Vertanen with Horvat at times. Uh, there was certain situations where Toffoli was with him, where Pearson was with him. And it just felt like it was one of those things where you mentioned, like, this team just didn't want to win it felt like in the first two periods, but Travis Green with the line switches and the combination of that and Thatcher Demko standing on his head, like that's what kind of willed the Canucks into winning this game, it felt like. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we, you know, you and I praised Travis Green quite a bit on this show. And I mean, putting the lotto line back together, it kind of seemed like a no brainer, right? Like, even in that first period, I was saying right away, like the Pearson to Foley and Pedersen line. You know, it was a great move at the time. You know, you and I praised it, putting Pearson and Toffoli together and taking Pedersen away from the O'Reilly line. Like, that was the thinking behind that, right? And they kind of stuck with it. It worked against St. Louis. It did. Give him credit. But it wasn't going tonight. It just wasn't. And, I mean, they haven't really been going at all during the series. And, I mean, it took a while, but they got away from it. They got the lotto line back together, which I think is what we all wanted to see. And it paid off, right? And, I mean you know, that's the sign of a good coach. He can adapt. He can kind of, you know, say, okay, this line that I put together that was working earlier isn't working now. I've got to make a change or we're going to be leaving Edmonton, which, you know, might be a good thing for a lot of people. But Thatcher Demko reported after the game that the Canucks aren't at each other's throats yet and they're still liking hanging out with each other. So there's no need for them to leave the bubble yet. There was a lot of talk about Thatcher Demko's sleep as well uh, in the post game. I heard. Apparently he's a big sleeper. We'll have, to, we'll have to hear more about that as we move forward, I guess. I'm not really sure. Uh, but apparently he's in bed by 10, which is something I haven't done in probably three years at least. Um, but yeah, I think that looking forward into this, you know, like the line changes are going to be something that we're going to have to see if they move around. Um, I really liked Adam Gaudet, uh, and I liked him with uh, Antoine Roussel tonight. I thought that they were, you know, a, an aggressive line. Um, early on in the game, the only person that I thought was actually going for the Canucks was uh, Adam Gaudet with, with the addition of Brock Besser. I thought Brock Besser was pretty good in the first couple periods as well, but I really liked Adam Gaudet, and I think that, you know, if, if this is what we're seeing from Adam Gaudet in the playoffs, and if he's only going to grow from here, uh, I, I still, like, I, I don't know why he was kept out of the lineup in the start. I thought he brings a lot. He brings a lot to the second power play unit, but there was something about it. Like, he's not afraid to, to throw a glove in Ryan Reeves' face, right? Like, Adam Gaudet's not going to shy away from anybody if he's not shying down from Ryan Ryan Reeves and if you can have that type of guy in your third line center for the future who can you know score goals and and, you know improve a little bit on his defensive game as the years go on like I I just I thought Adam Gaudet had a pretty good first two periods uh he got a little bit quieter in the third because Travis Green didn't really use him a lot like he didn't put a lot of uh, ice time into Adam Gaudet in the third period with a one goal lead uh but through the first 40 minutes like I I just really like number 88's game Yeah, I mean, he's looked really confident, right? Like, that's the thing with Adam Gaudet. In game one of even the playoffs, like, the first game he played, he, like, that third line, I said it before, they were unplayable in that game, right? And, I mean, a big part of that was him. He didn't look confident, and now I think that's the biggest change is he has that confidence, right? Like, you see him making moves, just little things. Like, he's not chipping the puck off the boards, panicked when there's guys on him. He's kind of holding it, protecting the puck, and he's, moving the puck around he's stick handling to get out of danger and I mean 
that's something you do when you're confident. It's a sign that you're playing with confidence. And I mean, now that that's there for Godet at such a young age, it's a good sign for the Canucks. And I mean, you know, there's one thing I want to say about the playoffs and everything. I know this is going to sound like total positivity, but this is what I want to say. Like, you look at the other cores, right? It took a while to get to the cup final. It took a while to get to the Western Conference final. You know, there was those years where they just couldn't get past Chicago. You look at this team, and if they don't make the playoffs next year, it won't be because of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, right? Like, it'll be because of the anchors in the bottom six that are signed, and they can't make a better team around these guys. The natural progression of Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, in my opinion, might be enough to get the Canucks to the playoffs next year. I'm not saying they will for sure make the playoffs next year. It's not guaranteed. But you have to know that getting this experience for these guys, especially the young guys, like these guys are going to be here for a long time. So buckle up because they're going to get a better supporting cast as the years go on when they're getting better. And I mean, man, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Well, absolutely. And I think that that's something that you think that it's talked about so much like, Oh, like I think especially going into the playoffs, a lot of people were like, Oh, well these young guys haven't played in playoff hockey. They don't know what it's like. And I think we saw a little bit of that early on, like even in that little pre or pre playoff game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they didn't look good against the Winnipeg jets. They didn't look good against the Minnesota wild. They didn't look good against St. Louis blues when they started, but they seem to like bounce back from it. Right. And maybe that's something that's going to change over the years as they kind of develop into guys that are consistently in the playoffs as you know, they need to bring a different energy level into a playoff game. And I think you're seeing that now, like you're seeing the way that Pedersen is checked differently, the way that not even checked differently, but you could see it on the goal that Brock Besser scored. Um, Vegas is aware of Elias Pedersen every single time he's on the ice, even when he's mm-hmm. with guys like JT Miller and Brock Besser, just having Pedersen come down the wing on the left side. I think that just opens up like one extra step for Brock Besser to get between the defensemen because that one defenseman on the right side is thinking, oh, dang, like there's Elias Pedersen over there. He's going to, you know, if he gets the puck on his stick, he's going to score a goal. I'm going to shade a little bit more to that side. Maybe that opens up just a little bit of space for Brock Besser to fly down between those defensemen, get a great pass uh, from JT Miller on that little give and go. And I think that those little things like, getting aware of how they're going to treat you differently in the playoffs is going to be so huge. Quinn Hughes is going to learn a lot because yeah, like we've seen, we've seen times where Quinn Hughes has had some of the worst, you know, possession numbers throughout the season. Finally, he gets back over 50% in this game. against Vegas sold Knights, which is very impressive. Uh, if you look at the Corsi percentage that the Vegas Knights had in this game, uh, the fact that Quinn Hughes was able to have a positive one, it looked like a really good bounce back game for him moving the puck. And I think that those are the type of things that he is going to learn as he goes on. And yeah, like, we we just tend to forget that these kids are like 20 and 21 years old like and they're going to be leading this Canucks team for a long time so getting this type of experience i know that a lot of people were kind of writing off the Canucks even going into this game um you know i think a lot of people are already writing them off in the series as well which you know is is fair like it's 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 a very steep mountain to climb to win 3 games against the Vegas Golden Knights right like that is a very tough task to ask of any team and better yet, like a young team that's in their first playoff experience. But the fact that they're getting this experience so they can mm-hmm. be able to bring it into next year, is just, it's huge, man. And on that note, right, when I talk about the positivity here, dude, Vasily Podkolzin is going to be joining this team next year. Niels Hoaglander, another guy, you know, he's probably not going to have the same impact as Podkolzin, but these guys are coming and they're going to be on ELCs. That is very good for the Canucks. When their competitive window is open... They are going to have very good players on very cheap contracts. So we talk about maximizing Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, ELCs. That ship has sailed. We can't anymore. That's not possible for this team. It's not going to happen with in terms of you know mac- utilizing cap space and you know weaponizing it. That's not going to happen. Okay, it's just not. But when you look at Pod Colts coming, if you're getting secondary scoring from a guy like that who's on an ELC for three years. Man, you just you can't complain. That's that's wonderful. And I mean, I think the KHL season scheduled to end in February with playoffs potentially going till April, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, Pod yep. Colton could be joining the Canucks as soon as next year, depending what his team does in the playoffs. Correct me if I'm wrong on those KHL playoff timelines. No, no you're right. It, the playoffs begin like the very start of March, and yeah, they could go as long as the end of April. So yeah, you're bang on there. Well, here's hoping they get swept in the first round, right? Yeah, no doubt. I know maybe Goldie uh, can come in because Gold Ovens looked incredible for your uh, CSKA so far. Maybe he can knock out SKA uh, and send Pod Colson over here. That'd be a nice little Goldie gift to get rid of. Um, but yeah, like you're you're so right with that. Like 
it's different because, and this is something that a lot of people actually have conversations about with hockey players. Like, it's fine to pay your top players, right? I think that's something that everyone's fine with. If you're going to go out and sign a guy like Artemi Panarin in free agency, and you're going to pay a ton of money to him, that's fine. Because he's going to be a star. He's going to be effective on your team. It's a similar situation with what's going on. And it's too bad that they weren't able to capitalize, but this team was just so deep into a rebuild and behind in a rebuild when they got Pedersen and Hughes that you can't really capitalize on these guys' as mm-hmm. ELCs with the situation that they put themselves into, right? Like, they, they went out and signed these debt players just to get them across. They made a lot of bad signings. They limited themselves in that. But now that you have them, it's okay to pay your best players a lot of money, right? Like, they're yeah. going to go out there and they're going to be effective. And having players that are going to come and contribute, like Vasily Colson, who I have all the confidence in the world that he's going to be an effective NHL player, I think as soon as he steps on the ice in a Vancouver Canucks jersey, I think he's going to be effective. I There's something about his game, and I'm trying to, like, find a comparison. And the best comparison I can find right now is, like, it's it's a combination of what everybody hoped Jake Vertanen could be and Ryan Kessler. Like that's the mix of the player that I think that we're going to get for Canucks fans. Like he's he's aggressive as hell. He's chirpy. He's confident. Um, he's fast. He gets in on the forecheck hard. So it's like a lot of things of that we saw from Ryan Kessler when he was effective in the Canucks jersey, and a lot of things that people were hoping Jake Vertanen was going to be. Like that's that's kind of the comparison to see, and it's an incredible comparison because. I think that having you know having that kind of player added into your lineup, especially he can hop right in and play on your fourth line, right? Like when he comes back from that KHL season, I think it's it's totally believable to think that he's going to hop right in to the Canucks lineup after that season ends, and he could start on the fourth line, he could start on the third line. Maybe if he's having a good year, the KHL, maybe he even hops in in the top six. But I, I think that the option is there for him to move up the lineup. He's not a guy that needs to be shoved in and play with great players right off the bat. Because he affects play enough on his own that he's going to make the line better no matter who he's playing with. So I am like I am just through the moon. I was a huge supporter of Niels Huglander, like especially last year. I think that seeing seeing some of the highlight stuff that Huglander did compared to the stuff that Pod Colson was doing was, you know, I was more hype about Huglander. And I think that now seeing seeing what they're playing so far this year, I just I think that Pod Colson has taken a huge step in his skating. Uh, and I think he's continued to be that aggressive all-around player who just has an incredible hockey IQ. Um, I, I would bet all my money uh, on, on Vasily Podkolzin being an impact player very soon in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I've been doing the deep dive, as you know, and I've talked to a lot of scouts. And a comparison I want to bring up, this is from a scout. I think I have to keep them anonymous. But they said they compare Vasily Podkolzin to a more skilled and faster version of Mark Stone. So incredibly responsible defensively. And you just watch this guy, right? Like you watch him just fly through the neutral zone to get on the forecheck and the back check. It's just, you know, Craig Button said it a few weeks back on this very show. He said, like, people are going to love playing with this guy. Travis Green's going to love coaching this guy. He has such a high octane style of game. Like he's always going. And I mean... Man, the KHL season starts on, I think, September 4th, I believe it is. Uh, I'm going to be getting on some of those streams with you there. I want to I wanna watch a lot of Pud Colson. Well, you're good. Yeah, they start um, actually the day this podcast drops, uh, the KHL season beginning. Pud Colson will get back to action on Thursday, I believe is his first game. So I'll get in, uh, be tracking the Corsi for that as well, which has just been ridiculous uh, so far following his Corsi. Like, I'm trying to try and keep a chart. Uh, for the whole season, I'm I'm not going to be able to track every single game just simply with school uh, starting up next week, and you and me struggling to wonder what the hell's even going on with school because huh. uh, this this online thing, like maybe it was okay for people doing online school when they were like already involved with it because like I was in class last year when the online school started when school shut down. But right now, dude, you and I have been going through this right now, trying to get started in a new semester <laughs> at a university where we just haven't, like, we've gone to part-time classes before, but now that we're at BCIT, like, getting into this radio program, I have no idea what the hell is going on, when our classes start, what we have to do. Like, you and I have just been struggling for the past couple days behind the scenes, uh, wondering what the heck we're about to do in the next, like, two years of our lives. Don't drag BCIT too much. I think Brian Weeb listens to the podcast, and we both need to get an A in his journalism class. That's fine. I think he already promised us an A uh, when we promoted his class, uh, his part-time right. class. So we're all good there. Yeah, I think we should be good in that department. But enough talk about BCIT. Let's move on here. I think we'll take a break. And on the other side of the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what the Canucks need to do to win game six and seven, if we get there. But we will be discussing all that and much more. So keep it locked and loaded on the Canucks Conversation. <laughs> 
Alright guys, very pleased. We announced it earlier on the show. Zephyr Epic is the new presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Very excited for this. You guys already know the promo code. You've been using it for months now. Promo code CanucksConvo gets you $5 off your order. Now is a great time. The 2020-21 NHL MVP packs have dropped right now on ZephyrEpic.com. You should go check it out. You can also check them out at their store in Surrey. Just give that the old Google search. Z-E-P-H-Y-R-Epic.com is the place you'll find them. You should follow them on all social media platforms as well. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and doing weekly drops on Twitch. Definitely check that out. Big case breaks. Those are a lot of fun. Go check it out. Z-E-P-H-Y-R. Epic on all platforms. And as you just mentioned there, Dave, in our brand new ad, uh, big shout out to Zephyr Epic. They are now the presenting sponsor of the show. We have locked them in for the next six months. That might take us all the way until next playoffs, actually, the way that the season's working. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm very excited to have Zephyr back on board. Get some more packs going with them. Like you mentioned, we're going to have some fun stuff coming up with Zephyr in the future. Some awesome giveaways and all that stuff. We're going to do more of those live videos. I know we did one with Brendan Batchelor, uh, and we've done a couple more Hughes Huntings just on our own. But we're going to have some fun uh, once we get going with Zephyr here into the new year. And like you mentioned, yeah, they just got the new uh, 2020-21 packs uh, just dropped. The MVP packs, which is kind of cool. I've heard rumors that there are Alexis Lafreniere rookie cards in there already. So how cool is that? Is he wearing a Rangers jersey? I I don't know. Like I, I guess not, right? Like because they they wouldn't be able to get that picture unless it's something, like, you know, with him just wear. Like they haven't even drafted him yet. I guess. Yeah. So. So yeah, you don't really know. A, huh. I guess we'll have to find out when we inevitably pull one. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, because... the cards are out, so I wonder if they the, they can't have that in there. So yeah, it doesn't make sense. But you know why we're gonna pull one? Because Zephyr packs are juiced. Remember that one of one we pulled? Oh baby, we gotta go. We gotta go figure that out. We gotta bring that to them and let them take a look at it. Yeah, I did hit up my uh, my sources, my uh, my hockey card sources. That's Dave Wilson, a former guest of the show. Uh, he's my guy that I go to for cards. He said it's not worth anything. He said if it's a good one of one, it's worth some. But I think I forget the guy's name. Was it like Philip Boucher or something? Yeah. Philip Boucher. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really worth much. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll let uh, we'll get back to this. I know that you want to talk a little bit about Brock Besser as well. Yeah, I mean, w- good game for him. I mean, you know, he we needed him to get going, right? Like we were talking so much about how this guy really needs to get going, and you know, you, here's the thing: like he scored all of his points pretty condensed, right? Like I think it was in the span of two games. I'm not really looking at it right now, but you know. That's the thing, right? Like, you need that scoring sustained throughout, right? He hasn't played poorly, but the Canucks need him to score more. That was the thing, right? Like, he wasn't playing badly by any means. He was playing well. And, I mean, you know, there was a lot of Brock Besser slander, I think. I don't think a lot of it was warranted. But the Canucks, at the end of the day, do need Brock Besser to score. He's a big part of their top six. They need him to be firing on all cylinders, which he was tonight. Like, he looked good. And, I mean, he's a guy we've talked about since training camp. He looked good right from training camp. Looked great in the Minnesota series. I thought he looked okay against the Blues and okay against Vegas. But, again, this last game on Tuesday evening... I thought it was one of his best games of the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I, I, he came into this game with 13 shot attempts in the four games against Las Vegas. Uh, tonight he puts up six shot attempts on his own, hits the net five times with those, uh, obviously scores the goal that's huge, drives to the net like he needs to do, uh, and then gets a shot off that t- tipped off of Elias Pettersson's shaft, um, which is just you know, like, you wonder if Pedersen's trying to do these things. That one, you don't know. Like, I know throughout the season we'd be like, oh, did he mean to do that? That one, I'm not really sure. If he meant to tip it with a shaft, that's absolutely ridiculous. I don't think he did. Uh, but it got us, it got us a goal anyways to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, Besser was excellent, man. Four individual scoring chances just for himself in this game. And I thought you could tell early on that he was engaged. Like, it didn't take for him to be on the lotto line for him to be one of the best players on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I think he was excellent in the line that he started with. Uh, with JT Miller and Bo Horvat in this game. And that's what's something that I want to talk about moving on because I, I want to talk about something later about the bottom six, but the top six um, now coming back into game six, after you have a production like that out of the lotto line early on, it's not like that this Vegas Golden Knights team has a defense core. That's going to be a defensive pairing. That's really going to be the number one shutdown one against a lotto line. Like the Canucks are going to have. And I think Travis Green rode that lot of line pretty hard in the second half of the game. And even using them, you know, in a game where they were up by one uh, to, you know, kill off some time and get late into the game. So I wonder, 
Um, it wouldn't shock me at all, and I think it's the move, actually, uh, to go with the lotto line back together in Game 6 to start the game. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's just no way that they can go with Pearson into Foley again with Pedersen, right? right? Like, it, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing those two with Horvat, but the lotto line has to go back right from the start, right? And, I mean, again, if they're not firing on all cylinders and they're not playing well, switch it up. I mean, that's something Travis Green loves to do. He loves his line blender. But, again, like the for the starting lineup, I think there's no way that the lotto line isn't reunited after the performance they had tonight. Yeah, and I think that brings up something where, you know, like I look at I look at points in this series and it's Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, Alex Edler, Quinn Hughes, Tyler Toffoli, Elias Patterson, and JT Miller all have multiple points uh, in this series. They, they were, you know, the four points that came from today, uh, it was Quinn Hughes, it was JT Miller, it was Elias Patterson, it was Brock Besser. Those are the only four players that got points for the Canucks. And then if you look at the rest of this list, Tanner Pearson has one point. Troy Stetcher, Tyler Mott, Christopher Tanev, Jake Vertanen, Adam Gaudet, Oscar Fantenberg, Brandon Sutter, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Tyler Myers, Jordy Ben. Zero points so far for this Canucks team in this series. You know, that's that's just not good enough, man. Like, you, you can't have that right now. Like, this Canucks team has not gotten a point from their bottom six in this whole series right now. And that's horrible because you're seeing what the Vegas Golden Knights are doing with that tuck line. Uh, Chandler Stevenson line even looks productive at times, even though they're not getting the goals like the tuck line was. And I think that that's, that's maybe, it's, it's not a positive, right? But I think that looking at the way that the Canucks are going into game six and seven, what if they do get help from their bottom six scoring? You know, what if Brandon Sutter scores a goal? What if Antoine Roussel scores a goal? What that? What if Jake Vertanen scores a goal? Like, this is what this Canucks team needs. They can't just simply rely upon their top six. And the fact that they only have eight players with points in this series, that's insane. The Colorado Avalanche had 14 different players with a point in the first period of their game Holy on Tuesday. 14 <laughs> players got a point. The Canucks only have eight throughout this series that have a point through five Holy games. Me. So the fact that... The bottom six has not done absolutely anything is is too bad because you looked at what happened in those games against the St. Louis Blues when Tyler Mott scores a goal. You know, what, when guys like Antoine Roussel are able to contribute. The Canucks win those games almost every single time. Like, I, it's something that I like to tweet out just before the game. So it's like, hey, if you get a goal from Jay Beagle, from Brandon Sutter, from Adam Gaudet, from, from any of these guys in your bottom six, the Canucks are going to win. Like, it's simply what happens. These guys score goals, the Canucks win when their bottom six scores. So the fact that they haven't gotten anything in the first five games, I, I don't think it's for them absolutely being dominated. Like, the fourth line of Jay Beagle's line probably gets dominated the most at five on five. But I've liked the third line. Like, I thought that Antoine Roussel has looked really good in the last couple of games. I think Adam Gaudet's looked good in the last couple of games. Um, you know, I think they need to find some sort of scoring from that bottom six. And it's just, it's not happening for them right now. But if they can get it in game six and seven, like maybe they do still have a chance here in this series. Want to hear my bold prediction? Yeah. Always. Tyler Mott, two goal game in game six. <laughs> Canucks win. That's a, that's nuts. That's my bold prediction. Hey. You're, you're absolutely right, Chris. The bottom six needs to come up, and when they do, the Canucks have a good chance of winning. I look at what Mott did against the St. Louis Blues, right? Even Roussel, that's another guy you mentioned, scores a goal. Same with Beagle. Beagle scored a goal in that series, I believe. That is yep. huge, right? Like, that helps this team get over the hump. And I mean, you know, when we did our end-of-season reviews and things that the Canucks needed to improve on, at the end of last season, right? Last season, not the COVID season. Last season. What did we say? We said they needed secondary scoring. It can't just be Pedersen. Remember, this is before they even had JT Miller. Like, right. Louis Erickson was on the second line consistently. And I know it's funny because I was saying just a few weeks back that Louis Erickson needed to be on the team's second line at the time. But... This this was something that needed to be addressed. It still needs to be addressed. They've gotten a little bit of help when they go go out and get Miller. But again, like the bottom six needs to contribute in some capacity, right? Because the Canucks can't be a one-trick pony. They can't only rely on their top six for scoring. Like They need to have a fourth line that's playable in both ends, right? And I mean, you know, we were just talking about a guy like Vasily Podkolzin. Imagine him in this bottom six. Like... Are you kidding me? That would be such a huge boost to this team in an area where they really do need help. So, I mean, you know, it, it'll be great, I'm sure, as soon as they get Pod Colson and can add him there. It's going to be great. The Canucks are only going to get deeper as they go along, and, you know, that's that's where I look at it with a huge, 
you know, with with rose-colored glasses, is not only is this core going to get better, there's going to be help coming along the way, right? And I mean, we already yeah. know what this core can do alone with these, you know, I feel bad calling people anchors, but these guys kind of holding them back a bit in the bottom six, right? We've seen what they can do with that. Now imagine them better with a better supporting cast. I mean, again, I'll say it again. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you mentioned maybe they're holding them back, but the thing is, like, they are holding them back, but the reason they're holding them back is because they're not helping them at all, right? Like, they're not pushing the same way that the rest of the top six is. Um, they, there are guys, like, like there is value in Jay Beagle and Tyler Mott. Absolutely. Uh, what, from what they do on the penalty kill. You know, like, they're excellent penalty killers. We've seen that throughout this playoffs. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me for what the Canucks penalty kill has been, but I think it's it's got to be one of the top ones because they've been excellent uh, throughout these playoffs, especially against the Blues and against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. But... When I see Jake Vertanen doesn't have a shot attempt in Tuesday's game, when I see Jay Beagle doesn't have a shot attempt, when I see a guy like Tyler Myers doesn't have a shot attempt uh, in these games, like, why, I don't know, like, it seemed like when they got 18 shots on net, um, that you would just think that at certain points you just want to start throwing the puck on net and seeing what happens a little bit, right? I mean, especially with these guys in the bottom six, it's not about creating the pretty play when you're on the bottom six. Uh, it's funny, like, I think of the NHL video games, and if you go to, like, your coaching settings... Uh, they always have it as like the first two lines like around the net and then they have it like the settings for the bottom six is always like crash the net. Like that's their strategy every single time. And it just feels like that's what the Canucks need to start doing more is like the guys on the bottom six, you have some big bodies, you have some guys on your defense who can get shots on net. And I just think that put that combination together, you're going to get a goal somehow from your bottom six. It doesn't need to be a pretty passing play uh, between Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertanen, you know, making some good moves on the boards. It just needs to be getting a half-decent shot off, maybe getting a rebound, and maybe getting your stick onto it first in front of the net and scoring a goal. Like, the the top six is great. Like, they've gotten the Canucks this far into the playoffs. It's something we talked about a lot. Like, it was going to ride on goaltending in the Canucks' top six. But now you're at a point where it just isn't enough, right? Like it's not enough for the Canucks. They're not going to be able to win a two, one game uh, in game six and game seven. They're going to need some scoring from their bottom six. They're going to need to score three plus goals into a game to get a win. Um, and it's going to need to come from those guys in the bottom six. And if they aren't able to contribute uh, in game six and seven, then the Canucks need to seriously look at what their bottom six is doing because you can't ride into the top. You can't ride into next season with the same guys who just let you down in the final playoff series against the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, you can't return with those same group of guys playing in your bottom six, seeing what they just did. Here's what I would do with the bottom six going forward, right? Like, I've already, you know, Tyler Mott's an RFA. I've already given this take multiple times. I think Jake Furtanen has some value. Trading him wouldn't be something insane to me. I think that'd be kind of a good idea. What I would do with Tyler Mott, and, you know, I mentioned it before, Give him term over dollar amounts. Like, you're going to have to pay Pedersen. It's going to be good to have a fourth liner like Mott down the line. You know, mark my words. So, keeping him at ter- with term, like a three-year deal, whatever the case may be, and a low dollar amount, like, that's good. That's what the Canucks want to do when it comes to building their bottom six, right? Then you have a guy like Josh Levo, who I've sang the praises of for so so long if you have him on a third or fourth line you take that any day of the week like this is a guy whose board work is fantastic there were five people on the Canucks with a 50% or higher Corsi rating this year I think it was Elias Pettersson Tyler Toffoli Brock Besser JT Miller and then Josh Levo I don't even think Bo Horvat was in that conversation I mean of course he had Louis Erickson on his line for a while but you know what I mean, like, this This is a guy who is going to come cheap because he was on a cheap deal already, and the knee injury doesn't do him any favors. Trust me, it doesn't. Yeah. This is a guy the Canucks can get, they can go after him this offseason, they can get him to return. This is a guy, you know, if his knee is healthy, this is a guy that's really going to help the Canucks bottom six. I say this is a guy a lot, I just realized. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, the, the bottom six, man, like, they could use Josh Levo so bad right now. Like it, it would be so inc- if he was playing at 100 percent and playing on that left wing uh, on the third line, and I think that that's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit was what we might see uh, going into this. And I think that I don't know if Travis Green's going to go with Tyler Toffoli in the top six uh, in Game Six. I just I think that Toffoli had a really rough game. I don't know if the leg is hurting him a little bit more, you know, if that ankle's holding up or not. But I think that right now the move 
would be, you know, you put Horvat back together with Pearson. I, I wonder if Jake Vertanen gets a time uh, with that line right now, you know, or wouldn't even shock me to see something like, like Vertanen come out of the lineup and Louis Erickson come back in, you know, and then you see Tyler Toffoli play on a third wow. line. Like, I, I think that there's going to be a change to the top six for sure. I think that the lot of lines going to be back together. I think they're going to be right there on the opening face-off up against that Ryan Reeves line to start game six. Um, but I think they follow that right up with Horvat Pearson and potentially Jake Vertanen or Louis Erickson because I don't know, I don't know if Tyler Toffoli's effort in Game Five warrants him enough to to be right back into the top six um, in Game Six because he's not going to be playing with the lot of line. But I do think if he's there and he's playing in this lineup, he still plays on that first power play unit. Like I, I like him on that first power play unit so much, but the Canucks just didn't get enough power play opportunities to make him effective in this game. And though Toffoli had a really good game when he came back into this, this this was another drop off. This was this looked like the first game of the playoffs when Tyler Toffoli was you know just absolutely ineffective. Um, and I wouldn't you know like it's not like saying that taking him out of the top six completely takes him out of the game, right? Like you put him into a third line who has been getting the easiest matchups, like Adam Gaudet, Brandon Sutter, and Antoine Roussel are getting a pretty easy matchup. If you mix that up and maybe it's Toffoli, Sutter, Gaudet, or potentially, you know, maybe Roussel, Gaudet, Toffoli as your third line, like something like that can give an opportunity for Toffoli to get some real weaker competition, go up against third-pairing defensemen, um, and, you know, maybe that's something that's going to help him in the end, I think. And, you know, that's, that's something may, maybe a way to get him going a little bit because I just, I didn't think he was effective at all, uh, in this game. And, and yeah, I think that that was a little bit of a worry for me, uh, as he dropped down the lineup, I've been wanting to see Horvat play with Pearson into Foley. So maybe that's, you know, the move, but if it's not there, um, you know, maybe Jake for hops right back up there into Foley goes down because if he's going to have a full game of being ineffective, like he did in game five, you, you just can't have that in an elimination game, game six of this uh, series right now. That was a bold, bold statement, Chris. Benching Jake Vertanen. I, I mean, he had a, he had a rough game, and you know, <laughs> what was his Corsi rating tonight? It was eighteen uh, percent matches number. Oh man, eighteen reasons yeah. why Jake Vertanen belongs in the press box by David Quadrelli dropping on Canucks Army Wednesday morning. Jokes. Mm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write that. I, uh, I like my, I like my head not on a stick. So, what I will say with the lineup, I mean. Louis Erickson back in the top six. I don't know if that's a step backwards. Something tells me it is. And I mean, do you bank on Toffoli potentially bouncing back? Because, you know, by the way, this guy's got four points, right? Like, and you talk about how important he is in the power play. Like, this is a guy who I think they can really get going in the top six. He's, he just seems so hit or miss. You know what I mean? Like, he's either on or he's off. He's never just okay you know what I mean when I watch him play I just think like you can either see if he's gonna be really good that night or if he's gonna be not very good that night and I mean Tuesday night's game was definitely the latter of that but going into game six I think you have to kind of bank on him just bouncing back right you put him with Horvat you reunite the lotto line so you've got Horvat and Pearson with or sorry Toffoli and Pearson with Horvat Again, like you're putting the lotto line back together. I think that gives the Canucks a legitimate shot at some five on five scoring more than it does putting Toffoli on a third line with softer matchups, but kind of handicapping that second line by putting Louis Erickson out there. Yeah, and I think that's that's where you could maybe go with Jake Vertan in there, right? Like I I don't know if that's the move taking Louis Erickson right in right now. I know I said that, but it just doesn't feel like it feels like Jake has been okay at times. Like, I thought he's been decently effective in these games. Like, he's led the Canucks uh, in possession numbers in a few of these games in the past series here. But, like, I I think that it's something that needs to change where you can get a little bit of scoring from someone in your bottom six. And if Toffoli has to go down to the bottom six to make that happen, you know, that's something that I think they might have to explore. But I, I would I would expect them to start something. But, you know, like, I, I don't know. Because I feel like I expected Travis Green to start... Pearson and Toffoli with Horvat a lot this year and it never happened so I don't know if that's what's going to happen in the playoffs especially with Bo Horvat or if they're going to go back to the lotto line I think that's the biggest no-brainer is that they need to go back to the lotto line to start uh, game six but I just don't know if if Toffoli goes right in there you know like it's it's something that Travis Green talked about at the start of the playoffs was he's going to have to make decisions throughout these playoffs on if a guy at 80% is more valuable than a guy at 100% and I just wonder is a Jake for Tannen at 100% more valuable in the top six than, than Tyler Toffoli at 80%. Because, yeah, we got a lot from Tyler Toffoli in his first couple games. 
Um, not a lot in his last couple. So I wonder if that's where the change needs to be. Um, and I, I just, it wouldn't surprise me to see Tyler Toffoli, a guy who we thought was securely going to be in the top six every single game for this Canucks team throughout the playoffs. It just wouldn't surprise me to see him fall out of the top six uh, in game six. I'm trying to rack my brain, Chris, but you know how we were just talking about the bottom six scoring and like that game where Mott just went off? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Jake Vertanen was in the top six for that game, was he not? I think so. He was. No, like, he, he was. He was. Tons, he was. Yeah. There's no way I'm remembering this incorrectly. If I am, I'm sorry, listeners. I don't think I am. I think I'm going straight off the cuff. Vertana was in the top six in that game. And mm-hmm. I believe Toffoli was in the bottom six. Correct? Which ser- which game are you talking about now with the two goals? I don't know. The one where Mott scored two goals in. Oh, man. I'm, I'm at loss now. I don't think Toffoli played in the Blues series, though, did he? No, you're right. Wait, are you right? Yeah, you are. But you might be right. Yes, yes. But you might Sorry. be right with Jake Vertanen. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, okay. There was a lot of crown flowing during those games for me. But that was, yeah. And a little like, bit that, a little bit flowing tonight, too. If uh, you, You've mixed up your crown a little bit tonight, I heard. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about crown right now. That's Patreon content. We'll talk about the crown on the Patreon tomorrow. By the way, check out our Patreon. You can get all the bonus content for $5 and then $10. Monthly giveaways, which we are going to be firing back up soon. Just with COVID, we kind of paused it, but we we do have some stuff. Remember, we went to uh, went to Rogers Arena for the equipment sale or whatever, and bought some good stuff. So we're gonna have some stuff to give away to our Patreon donors. Patreon.com/slash Canucks Combo. But back to my point, Chris. Jake Vertanen back in the top six again. Like the more you say it, the more I'm kind of liking the idea, right? Because you know, he wasn't on tonight. 18% Corsi is just absolutely abysmal. But neither was Tyler Toffoli. So again, like, this idea of giving Toffoli, like, softer matchups, I don't mind it. But I also don't mind the idea of just kind of keeping your fingers crossed that Toffoli bounces back in a big way and is able to figure it out going into Game 6 in the top 6. I mean, there's a lot of questions ahead. And I mean, you know, before we close out here, there's one I want to talk about with the goaltending, but if you have anything else about the lineup, go ahead and throw it out now. No, I just, well, you've been talking, I went and looked back, and yeah, Jake Furtanen got time with uh, JT Miller and Elias Patterson. He's in the top six in the game. The first game, the Mott scored two goals, uh, and in the second game, he played with Elias Patterson and JT Miller for a decent amount of time as well. So he, like, he was getting time in the top six, which I just think that, like, I've said this a lot about Jake Furtanen, I think, this year. Like, he doesn't I don't even know, like, because he does. He does make the lineup better at scoring goals certain times with guys in the top six. But it's like he doesn't have the for sure fit of a top six player. Like, he couldn't be a top six player on on a majority of teams in the NHL. But, like, he fits into the top six role with this Canucks team. And and what it does, when he goes in there, I think Toffoli's a better fit in the bottom six. Like, Jake isn't as effective in the bottom six as he is in the top six Simply because of, I don't know, it's just something about the way that he's out there skating. I saw at times today he was just flat-footed a lot, uh, gliding through the zone a few times. And I just think when he's out there with JT Miller and he's, when he's out there with Elias Pettersson or Bo Horvat, like he's he's just skating harder to like prove that he needs to be there. Like He proves that he's a top-six player when he's, when he's put into that situation, but it doesn't prove... Like Jake's not good at proving that he should be a top six player when he's not in the top six. Like when he's when he's playing in a depth role, he's not working his way up to a top six role. He's almost just waiting for the top six to like need an injection of Jake Vertanen, and that's too bad because if he was working as hard as he does when he's in the top six to get into the top six, he'd be a top six player overall. And I hope that made sense. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did make sense. And I mean, you know, we're talking about Jake, and I mean. If he keeps performing well, this is only good for his trade value, right? It gives the Canucks options because, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'm sorry if you like Jake, here's the thing. The Canucks have cap issues, and they're going to need to improve the team. And if Jake Vertanen's a casualty of the trade, you know, it's to improve the team, right? And I mean, trades suck. It sucked that they had to get rid of a first-round pick for JT Miller, but look how that paid off, right? Like, trades suck, but sometimes they're needed. Your favorite player might get traded. But it's for the greater good most of the time, unless it's Erica Branson coming back the other way. Again, Pittsburgh fans know exactly what I'm talking about, as do Canucks fans. But that's my point. Like, this is a this is a series where people can drive up their value. And speaking of which, another guy who's driven up his value is Thatcher Demko. With this one win on Tuesday night, 
He's shown that he can perform in the playoffs. Again, I was talking to Kevin Woodley about this. You look at Franku, Franku's whatever, in Colorado. This is a guy who is performing well in the regular season, but for some reason in the playoffs, couldn't get it done. And when Woodley and I were talking about the potential of Demko playing Game 4, or sorry, Game 3 rather, we were talking about the potential of that, he, he was quick to point out, like, despite Demko having any success in the regular season and looking good, looking sound, you know, he hasn't been tested properly in the playoffs. He played game one, he only faced six shots. That's not pressure. That's not playoff pressure, right? It's just not. And especially when the game's already a dud, you know you're just in to close it out and run the clock, right? Like, that's not playoff pressure. Now he's faced that playoff pressure. Now the Canucks and all other 30... Well, 31 with the Seattle Kraken coming in. All of the other GMs also know that Thatcher Demko has what it takes to win in the playoffs. You know, you can say maybe this was a one-off. But regardless, Thatcher Demko won a game in the playoffs and he won it in beautiful fashion. Like, he made a ton of saves in that game. Again, this is only good for his trade value. But again, like, this is something we have to talk about is like, the Canucks might have the beginnings of a goaltending controversy on their hands. Yep. Um, we're going to save that talk for the offseason, I think. Um, <laughs> but that's definitely going to fill some episode times uh, as we're going through our offseason episodes uh, for sure. But I want to um, say I want to say one more thing. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I want to say one more Go thing ahead. about the goaltenders, right? Like, you know... Say Markstrom, you know, I was talking earlier about how there's no way the Canucks can go to Markstrom because there's absolutely no way he's going to be 100% healthy. Say he's 90% healthy and he says he wants to go, right? Like, this is Travis Green's guy. You know, is is it going to piss off the Markstrom camp? Like, here, here's, here's what I'll say. If Demko starts game six and Markstrom is the backup for that game, he's not sitting in the press box, he's backing up, so he's available to play, I think think that's going to piss off the Markstrom camp and I'm just I'm just going off a hunch here like that would tell me that Markstrom said he was good enough to play and they didn't want to go with him and I mean I think yeah. that's when you'll start to see the Markstrom camp be like okay well we're gonna look at the free agent market and I mean you know I don't know what the plan was so far it seemed like both sides really just wanted Markstrom to get to um get back to Vancouver and I mean that's what both sides wanted but you know maybe we see something there like if Demko starts this game and Markstrom wanted the crease that's gonna cause a a, what's the word I'm looking for ripple that's the word yeah a ripple um that's you know it's it's not gonna be a good thing right and I mean you you look at it the other way too right like if Markstrom signs a big extension you know we were talking to Thatcher Demko earlier in the summer I was talking to him about that uh Ian Clark thing I did you know, I said, my follow-up question was, what's the next step for you? And, you know, he, he he said that he knew what it took to be a starter, right? Like, that's something he learned this season. So I said, you know, you learned that this season, what, what's the next step for you? He didn't give me a crazy great answer. Like, he wasn't like, no, I'm going to be a starter. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, like, wherever the team needs me. He gave the right answer. But it would not surprise me one bit that the Demko camp requests a trade if Markstrom gets extended. I mean, the Seattle expansion draft kind of helps that in a bit because the Canucks are probably going to be looking to move a goaltender before that happens. I don't think they're going to go into it with both. Um, Again, there's a lot of different ways that they can try to protect both, but you know, my gut tells me that one of these goaltenders is going to be moved. I think there's absolutely no way. Well, there's a way, but I don't, I don't think there's a, I don't think it's a real possibility that they start the 21, 22 season with Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom as their tandem. I just don't see it happening. Again, you've got Mikey DiPietro, who's going to be playing two more years in Utica at that point. Again, like, at what point do you take the goalie of the future for all these years, and, you know, you you, you just can't keep pushing him back. And, I mean, it's crazy because we talk about the rebuild, we talk about all this stuff. First of all, nobody expected Elias Patterson to be this good. That's why the Canucks had to go get JT Miller. Elias Patterson single-handedly accelerated the rebuild. Let's be honest here. Then you look at Jacob Markstrom. You know, he was the filler goalie. He was supposed to just kind of get them over that hump of being not so competitive into the Thatcher Demko era of Vancouver Canucks hockey. Now, uh, Jacob Markstrom's emerged as one of the top two goaltenders in the league. When you look at all those advanced stats and all that fun stuff, you know, he, he he's a legitimate elite goaltender, right? And... He's helped the Canucks get to this point. So, 
Now it becomes, okay, we weren't really prepared for this. Now the Canucks have a decision to make. It's a tough decision, and it's one I don't envy them having to make, but it's one we'll have to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, most definitely. This is. I think a lot of this is going to come after. You know, we're not going to know what's going on until the the Markstrom contract is signed, right? That's the first thing that's going to happen. That's going to be the telling tale of a lot of stuff. Um, if they're somehow able to get him for two years, then maybe we aren't talking about this. But we're going to talk definitely a lot more about the goalie controversy. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I thought that something you mentioned there was pretty interesting. Like, if Markstrom is sitting behind uh, Thatcher Demko in Game Six, that's really interesting. And like. Uh, Jacob Markstrom has a, as a power agent too. um, Pat Morris, uh, Newport, big guy. I wonder if he's tweeting out a picture, huh, uh, like Alan Walsh, joke. uh, pretty, pretty soon here. If we end up <laughs> seeing this photo, uh, <gasps> popping up with Markstrom on the bench, like it, it could be another situation like that. I don't think the agents are going to get, uh, involved, but, um, if one were to do it, um, you know, Pat Morris is, is a pretty big name guy, just like Alan Walsh. So uh, it wouldn't shock me to see it, but it would be pretty damn funny. Uh, and I think Canucks Twitter is smart enough to say, like, would just would be smart enough to just laugh at that. Right. Like, it would be hilarious if they actually posted something like that. Oh. Uh, and if Pat Morris wants to do, like, the funniest tweet of the Canucks season, uh, I recommend pulling that off pretty soon here. If if Markstrom is on the bench with Demko starting in game six. But, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I think that's something we could see. But here's what... I, I'm going to stand by it, and this is my opinion. You know, I'm not a doctor, but the fact that Markstrom wasn't available tonight just tells me that, you know, I really, really do think that this is going to be a case where he's not available for Game 6. I think Markstrom's going to... I believe he's day-to-day. I think that's what Dollywall's reporting, but... Yeah. From everything I've gathered and my personal opinion, I think there's no way that Markstrom's healthy for Game 6. I think maybe, maybe they push it and he comes in for Game 7. Because again, you got to remember, that's three games over the span of four days for Thatcher Demko, right? I mean, he's well-rested, right. but, you know, what was it, 74 shot attempts tonight? 79, was uh, it? 79, yeah. That's a lot of times that he's got to drop down. You know what I mean? Like, that's not easy. That's not easy on a goaltender. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But, I mean, I think Thatcher Demko's well-rested. I think he's well-equipped for it. But, again, like, you're going to be putting him in a back-to-back in a Game 7 situation. Like, that's a high-pressure situation. I mean, you know, we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves here. we got to see what they do in Game 6 first. Absolutely. All right, I'm closing out with my prospect report. Nothing to report. They didn't play a game. Uh, Arvid Kosmar had some ridiculous numbers um, for the Swedish J20 team, the junior 20 team that is. Uh, maybe keep an eye on him at the World Juniors this year if he starts to tear it up. He's playing on a line. Uh, he was playing with with Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, so that was pretty cool uh, to see Kosmar in a good situation like that. Um, and Vasily Podkolzin gets going on Thursday morning, so we're excited to get that KHL season going. We'll be following all the coverage of that. And... Um, the only other thing I wanted to wrap up with quads is the crazy thing to think, and I think we mentioned this before we started recording, was there is the potential for us to be recording episode 100 of the Canucks conversation, celebrating the Vancouver Canucks moving on to the Western Conference Finals. If they are able to win game six and game seven, you and I record on Friday nights typically for the Saturday show, we could be recording episode 100 of the Canucks conversation podcast for the Canucks moving into the Western Conference Finals. That would be absolutely incredible. It would be. And I think we have to come clean to the listeners here. You know, we talked about the big countdown show. I think that was partly because we didn't think the Canucks would make it this far. Uh, (laughs) We're not doing that. We're not doing a countdown show in the middle of a playoff run, folks. That's going to be delayed. It's not going to be the big episode 100 we wanted. The timelines just didn't work out. So... Yeah, I mean, Chris, that would be wonderful. I'm really excited for that countdown show, though. We've been taking notes. I've got some ideas and some moments in my head that I can't wait to share with the listeners. I think it's going to be great. Right. No, the yeah, we're going to do that when, when things die down a little bit, when there's not <laughs> a lot of news, uh, so we can record that. Put that podcast together, that would be fun. But yeah, like, I think, uh, it's just, it's crazy to think, like, I'm just thinking of it, uh, if that's a potential of actually happening, that's going to be one hell of an episode 100 quads. I think we might have to do... Um, we might have to do some crown apple uh, for that one. If we end up getting the Canucks end up advancing to the Western conference finals as we're recording episode 100, I will drink a two, six of crown apple while recording by so in the one hour of, by myself. I'll drink a two, six of crown apple uh, during I'll finish it by the end of the recording. We won't stop what? the recording. 
uh, until I finish the two six. So we'll do that if the Canucks end up advancing uh, on Friday night to the Stanley, uh, the Western Conference Finals. We will be doing a full episode of where I drink a two six of Crown. So that's, I'll stand by that, um, and let's hope that the Canucks end up winning in seven. Then that's how much we drank over the span of like ten days with Sprite. Yeah, but the the other thing that I thought was pretty funny, I had to tell the girlfriend this because you texted me. It helps like, oh, she's like, oh, what's Dave doing on his vacation today? And I was like, oh, he's going to the beach. He's going to do some drinking at the beach. But he told me he's bringing one white claw. For a day of drinking at the beach. So okay, it wasn't a day was... of drinking. We played spike Well, you, you said, you're like, I'm going to the beach, I'm bringing one white claw. And I was thinking, <laughs> what the hell are you going to do with one white claw at the beach? <laughs> hey, that was a great day. I was I, I was livid. I, that was a great vacation. It came at a great time. But, Chris, I think we'll wrap this up. It's been a great episode, my friend. I'm excited to see what we're talking about on Friday. For Chris Faber, my name is David Gugelli. You have been listening to episode 99. Wow, episode 99 of the Canucks Conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 